0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
1: Welcome into to another edition of the Under Center podcast here on NBC Sports Chicago. I'm JJ Stankovic, joined at House Hall by Cam Ellis. The first half of this podcast, we're going to talk about Mitch Trubisky. Uh, On Wednesday here at House Hall, we're recording this before practice, but all signs are pointing to Mitch Trubisky playing and starting for the Bears on Sunday night against the Los Angeles Rams. He said he's about as close to 100% as he's felt with his injured shoulder and that he just kind of needs to go out and prove it to Matt Nagy this week, which is essentially what Matt Nagy said. So moving forward, Cam, the Bears are going to have Mitch Trubisky starting. Again, it would take a really unprecedented setback for that not to be the case. So what are we looking for out of Trubisky? on Sunday as he plays
2: his first game since injuring that shoulder against the Minnesota Vikings? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing we're looking for is how he takes a hit. I think that's Mm -hmm. what he really talked about was, you know, maybe he has full range of throwing, maybe he feels confident throwing the football now, but it's all about maybe taking a hit, maybe sliding, sort of feeling like he is the dynamic player that the Mm -hmm. Bears drafted him to be, and I know that people sort of want him to develop as a passer, but Taking hits, running is a big part of his game, and it's a big part of the Bears' offense. And I think that is going to be the biggest spot where we see whether he's still as aggressive running or sliding or whatever it may be.
1: Yeah, Mitch talked on on Wednesday about wanting to be smarter with that where it's not always about getting that extra yard. It's about being smart about when to go after that extra yard. Like the instance of the play where he got hurt, it was kind of that awkward slide as momentum was taking him down forward, but the Bears did not need an extra yard in that situation where Harrison Smith came in and hit him. If that were a third and three and he's two yards away from the first down marker, then I think you say, yeah, you got to go for it. Mm -hmm. But in this case – You know, if it's first and 10 and you've already gained five, just slide feet first and just protect your body. I think that's probably something coaches have communicated to him of, you know, hey, just be smarter about it because it is something that he kind of repeated a little bit on Wednesday.
2: Yeah, and he even talked about this when talking about how his pain tolerance is – way differently in this injury as opposed to other ones mm-hmm. because it's his throwing shoulder. Right. It's a crucial—I mean, it's it's his bread and butter. And so I, I think that maybe if this was something—another injury in a different part of his body, he may be already be playing. But I think that because this is his throwing shoulder and it's really the most important aspect of what the quarterback has, that it's probably why he was held out last game. His ping pong stroke looks pretty good. Though. It does. It does. He, uh, he was not all that interested. Believe it or not, all that interested in talking about it. Um, but yeah, no. I think. I think. If,
1: by the way, if no one knows what we're talking about, um, a you don't follow Josh Bellamy on Instagram. <laughs> Shocker. B uh, it, Mitch Trubisky was playing ping pong and using his right shoulder to hit some pretty hard shots towards Prince Mukamara at Chase Daniels' house on Monday night.
2: So still, still took an L, though. It, apparently Mukamara yeah. went 4 an Yeah, so. Prince Mukamara is apparently a ping pong yeah. savant. I guess being a lefty makes yeah. being more i had no idea that like if you hit it with their left hand it sort of rolls differently i don't know learn something new every day here
1: hey you know we're, we're here for lefties doing more things given <laughs> there's fair. not a single left-handed quarterback in the nfl and probably won't be until tua tag comes into the league in a couple of years um, the, this is a – I've seen this out there. Kinda, uh, the Bears should maybe rest Trubisky against the Rams because, ooh, they have Aaron Donald and the Sue and this really fearsome defensive line that is probably going to put a lot of pressure on Mitch Trubisky. Sure. And he's probably going to take some hits. But the Bears are not going to hold a guy out if he's healthy just because you're scared of the other team's defensive line. Matt Nagy kind of had a good quote in there of, you know, today of, we respect – who's on the other side, but we're not going to do anything differently, and we're not going to kind of act scared because of who they have, and that was in reference to James Daniels having to block Aaron Donald, and that being a pretty tough task for James Daniels, but the Bears aren't going to start playing scared because the other team is Aaron Donald. They will tweak their game plan to you know, where Trubisky talked a lot about the quick game and getting the ball out to kind of mitigate what Aaron Donald will do, but... They're not going to play scared, and they're not going to not play Trubisky just because the other team happens to have the best defensive player in football on their side.
2: Right. If, if you're scared about your players being tackled in football, then what's Why going on here? Football? Right, exactly. I mean, He's going to get hit at some points. Um, and I think... You hear the week-to-week stuff all the time, but I, this is a big game for the Bears, and it goes without saying, but you can tell when they're talking about it. I mean, Nagy opened the press conference this this, this morning with talking about the, the fans and the atmosphere mm-hmm. and sort of bringing it back to the Vikings game and how excited it was and sort of pleading with them to mm-hmm. guys come back out and create yeah. these crazy night games. Um, and, I, and I think that, I mean, it's hard not to get excited about the Rams and the mm-hmm. 11-1 or whatever it may be, and I, I think that there was... My, barring a major, major setback, there's no way Trubisky wouldn't play in this game.
1: Right, and and this is where you know the Bears said they're protect, essentially protecting a player from himself the right. last two weeks, yeah. where maybe he could have played through it. Probably against the Giants, you could have said if it were a playoff game, he could have given it more of a go. Right. But in this instance, it's not. Right. It was against a last place team. The Bears lost a really bad game. They did not play well, but. I mean, if you just kind of take that away, what they did with Trubisky is essentially what they did with Khalil Mack and Allen Robinson. If you look at what both those guys did when they came back against Detroit, Mack had two sacks. Robinson had two touchdowns. They both played really good games. Now, granted, the the Rams are a little bit better than the (laughs) Detroit Lions, uh, not to throw that hot take on you. But um, they, they feel like they've done the right thing with Trubisky and now he can go this last quarter of the season these last four games you have a fully healthy quarterback where you don't necessarily have to worry about this being a lingering issue i think that is kind of what the bears have been hoping for and that's what they hope they get out of this
2: yeah and i think that you know it's 8 and 4 is a great position to be in but say you start chase daniel against the rams probably not a great outcome for the right. bears all of a sudden you're on a two game losing streak 8 and 5 Aaron Rodgers comes into town, that's tough. Mm-hmm. That's a tough spot to it's a weirdly tough spot for oh would be an eight and five team to be in. So I so I think sort of getting the team that they wanna ride with the rest of the season out as fast as they can, just mm-hmm. to sort of get the division handled as fast right. as they can, because it's gonna be panic if all of a sudden, you mm-hmm. know, they gotta beat the 49ers, which is not a good team by any chance. But then go to Minnesota right. that's stressful yeah. and it's I don't think when the Bears were 8-3 and three, something they envisioned being the case and I think right. they really want to try and get ahead of that
1: yeah you, you do not want to go into that last game against the Minnesota Vikings right. with something to play for right. whether it's if it's a playoff spot you're really scared if it's Playing your next play, playing your first playoff game in eight years at home or on the road. Right. You want that game to be at home. You do not want to throw it back where, say, they lose to the Vikings and then they have to go on the road and play the Vikings. Right. You don't want to do that in two straight weeks. Um, let me ask you this, Cam. This is a thought that I kind of had. Okay, is it better for the Bears if? Sunday's game is a shootout, kind of not the Rams Chiefs level of sure. 105 points, okay. but if it's a high-scoring game back and forth or if it's a defensive battle where you're seeing, you know, Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack kind of really shining on this night, what is better for the Bears chances of winning this game? Cuz I think the default answer that a lot of people'd have would be, well, a defensive battle works better for the Bears. Yeah. Let's not
2: forget that the LA Rams can score some points on defense, right, and they've right. got some
1: good players over there. Right. So
2: I'm just curious, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I mean, like like you said, I mean the the crazy Chiefs game. The Rams scored like three defensive touchdowns or yeah. something absurd. Like mm-hmm. there was not, it, it, there was. I've seen better defense played, but it was not a poorly played defensive game. By that any is means. a really good point. Um, I, I think that it would be better to see a shootout just because you want to see the offense go toe-to-toe. Mm-hmm. And you, you know what the defense does, and uh, I don't think anyone would necessarily be surprised. It would be cool, and it would be reaffirming to see the the Bears' number one defense shut down the mm-hmm. offense. It gives you hope right. for the Saints, for the Rams, should it come down in January. Mm-hmm. But I think for what's been a sort of toss-up in the air, whether or is the offense good, are they mm-hmm. mediocre, are they bad. Right. I think seeing them go 35, 40 points against the Rams, mm-hmm. I think you can live with that from a defensive side for one game, and right. I would love to see the Bears put together this high octane yes. offense that you go, whoa, okay, they can do this when they need mm-hmm. to do it.
1: I, I think that's the kind of where I was going with this, Cam, because if you put the game, let's say there are two minutes to go and the Bears are down by f- two points. Right. And you either have to... Or you're, you're down by two points and you put the offense on the field. Or you're up by two points and you have to put the defense on the field. I think I actually feel better about the offense. Matt right. that is not this huge knock on the Bears' defense. But it is a compliment to what the Los Angeles Rams can do on offense. Right. Because they're so good. And Matt Nagy said it today... A good offense will run a play, and it could go three different ways right the Rams they disguise it it could go five different ways, right. and you just don't know what they're going to do yeah. because they run so much play action, they disguise their routes so well. Right. It is absolutely stunning how good of a coach Sean McVay is. Right. And I don't think you want to test that. I, no. Even with the best defense in the NFL, I do not think you want to test the Los Angeles Rams in 2018 on offense.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I was looking at stats earlier, and they run 98% of their plays out of three wide receiver formations. Mm-hmm. And the next highest is like 72 or something. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a little alarming that the Rams are able to run 90% of their, 98% of their playbook out of this one, you know, 11 personnel mm-hmm. format and still have the success that they do. Um, I think you're right that when, I mean, they, you add Allen Robinson, you add Taylor Gabriel, Tariq Cohen's coming to his own. Mm-hmm. This offense has always sort of seemed – A game or two away from clicking. I mean, you bring these, you bring Trey Burton, you bring these guys for a reason, and you want to mimic the offenses that are very Mm -hmm. trendy right now in the NFL. And I I think that between the play calling has gotten better. Um, I think the comfortability with routes and timing Mm -hmm. has gotten better, and I I think that it's like you said, you sort of know what you're getting with the defense, and it's time to sort of see what we're getting with the what the Bears are getting with the offense.
1: That being said, if the Bears Defense shuts down the Rams' offense. Vic Fangio is going to have a field day yeah. because uh, it was funny. I so I asked him after that Rams Chiefs game if it was a watershed moment for the league, and he gave this great answer of, well, "I thought you know the Colts Giants game in 1958 was a watershed for the <laughs> league where the forward pass really <laughs> came into vogue." It was a tremendous answer. And then we were walking over to the uh, the Peyton Center a couple weeks ago, and Vic was like to a couple of us reporters. He's like, yeah, someone asked me about that, you know, if that Rams game was a watershed game. And I was like, yeah, that was me. He's like, oh, yeah? Ah, I thought I gave a pretty good answer. I was like, yeah, you did. <laughs> and I, I think he would get a real kick out of, obviously, the Bears winning the game, but also it him shutting down the best offense in the NFL. Um, we're going to get out of here. I did an interview with J.B. Long. He's the radio voice of the Rams on ESPN Los Angeles. Uh, that's going to be the second half of this podcast, a lot of good stuff, previewing the Rams. Stick around, because there, there's a part in there where JB talks about how Jared Goff did against the Denver Broncos, where it's a, it was a cold game and he did not do very well. Interesting. That's the, f- the only time that Jared Goff and Sean McVay have played – have been in, in this partnership and had to play when it's below freezing.
2: Hmm.
1: It will be below freezing along the lake on Sunday, so maybe something to consider there. Not
2: quite L.A. weather in uh, early December in Chicago. A little bit, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I looked a couple days ago, and I was just hoping. I was like, "Oh, let me see some snow, let me see some snow. But I think it's supposed to be like 32 and totally fine, which is still terrible at night. But Yeah, um, temperate. Temperate. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's, it's certainly not going to be L.A. weather on Sunday. So it'll be interesting to see how they do that. All
1: right, Cam and I are going to get out of here. Remember, stick around for the football after show immediately following Sunday night's Bears Rams game Lawrence Holmes Lance Briggs Alex Brown Matt Forte they do a tremendous job breaking down the Chicago Bears and then stick around for a fresh under center podcast Sunday night that you can listen to on your commute Monday morning or if you're up and the Bears won the game and you cannot fall asleep listen to it uh, around two o'clock in the morning or whenever it goes up so we're gonna got here the second half of this podcast is me talking to JB Long the radio voice of the Los Angeles Rams
0: for monster coverage of the monsters of the Midway, download the My Teams app by NBC Sports. Keep the
1: Bears at your fingertips every day of the week. Download the app today. I'd like to welcome to the Under Center Podcast, the voice of the Los Angeles Rams on ESPN Radio Los Angeles. JB Long. JB does a fantastic job calling Rams games out there. If you do live in Los Angeles, you've probably heard his uh, very nice touchdown. La call multiple times. Uh, JB, welcome to the podcast.
0: JJ, always uh, great to connect and catch up with you. Uh, We've done it at the college level and now with the uh, Bears and the Rams.
1: Yeah, back in the day, JB and I uh, hosted the Still Independent podcast about Notre Dame football. So now we're here talking about two first-place teams in the NFL. Um, JB, just curious, the Rams coming in 11-1, coming off the the 14-point win over the Detroit Lions. What sort of is the mood around this team as they kind of now start turning their attention toward getting that one seed in the NFC and, and having home field advantage throughout the playoffs.
0: Yeah, it was interesting to see the reaction in Detroit over the weekend because, you know, less than 12 months removed from punching uh, their ticket in Tennessee a year ago. Uh, in that particular win over the Titans, the mood was exuberant. Uh it was it was new, it was novel. This time around, uh, clinching the division, it almost felt routine or expected or like the first check on a to-do list. Not that they weren't excited, not that they didn't celebrate, they certainly did, um, but a couple of factors. One, I don't think anyone was satisfied with the way they beat the Detroit Lions in Week 13 and uh, secondly, understanding that uh, they have four more games to go and if they win all of them, not only will they have a bye, but they would have home field advantage throughout. So it was just a sense, JJ, of probably having a bigger fish to fry uh, in the remainder of the regular season. Uh,
1: so, JB, I had you on the podcast way back in August of 2017, where I was asking you about kind of how the Rams went about the 2016 season, where it, you know they went to right. Jared Goff and he lost every game he started. They fired Jeff Fisher. And how you know maybe there are some comparisons to what the Bears are going to be doing in 2017 that year. The Rams obviously then took off, made the playoffs, like you said, celebrated wildly upon making it. And now you're kind of in year two of the Sean McVay era. And obviously the, the personnel has changed, adding, you know, Nadamikin Sue, Marcus Peters, uh, you know, Akeeb Talib, these guys, these big names on the defensive side of the ball. But where has this this franchise evolved into? In terms of just Sean McVay's overall kind of philosophy of running a team, where have you seen that evolution really come to fruition?
0: Yeah, I think it's, you know, apart and aside from the scheme and the personnel, I really just think it's a culture of accountability and expectation. Uh, Lamarcus Joyner, a safety, put it really well way back in training camp, which was you know McVay came in following a four and twelve final season under Jeff Fisher, and somehow convinced that locker room that they were capable of a whole lot more and what they were capable of in 2017, which was winning the division and going to the playoffs, even when you know none of those players necessarily had the right to expect that individually or collectively. And I think that's been the biggest transition. And if you're talking about, you know, mimicking any type of dynasty, that's kind of the process that the Rams have gone through to this point successfully. We'll still we'll see if they're able to maintain it long-term. Um, but I think that's where they're at as exhibited by, you know, being disappointed, not feeling good about what proved to be a double-digit victory on the road in Detroit to get the job done last weekend.
1: You know, you can look at the Bears and – You know, draw so many parallels to what the Rams did in 2017 to what the Bears did in 2018. You hire the young offensive minded head coach to pair at the second year quarterback. You go on a free agent spending spree to build around said quarterback. And then you make a big trade just before the season starts to kind of fill out and, and get you over that hump. Is that something just watching from afar in L.A.? And obviously you're so consumed at the Rams out there, but have you kind of made note of like, huh, the Bears are sort of doing what the Rams did last year just from your sort of outside perspective?
0: Yeah, I remember making that comparison during the summer and, and having some doubters say, "Ah, oh, the Bears aren't there yet. They're not, the same. They're not the same construction that the Rams were. And it was kind of humorous because how quickly I think the Rams fan base forgot the depths to which they had fallen and were struggling <laughs> through. Uh, but just a little behind the scenes, not that your audience cares, but like I do like a weekly trailer, like a hype video kind of previewing the week's game. And I, I, just moments ago kind of scripted and recorded that. And it's essentially what you just laid out that, uh, Hollywood's best script the story of the Rams' ascension to division champions uh, is now trying to be spun off, you know, with a sequel-type fashion Hmm. uh, in in Chicago. And truth be told, the Rams are not originators of this, of course. They, in essence, uh, followed the uh, Philadelphia Eagles right. lead uh, and did so very well and then yes uh, obviously the Bears are kind of the next in line and if they're able to, to finish things off and what's a confusing NFC North right now I think uh, then we'll figure out you know who's going to be the team to try and do it again next year um, but look it's it's no coincidence this is the way that Football is trending in general. Uh, granted, Andy Reid is not a young, up and coming head coach, but he's very similar in Kansas mm-hmm. City. And with Patrick Mahomes, I think there are a lot of parallels. So, this is the way the entire NFL is going. The trick is can you identify a Nagy, a McVeigh, a Peterson, someone mm-hmm. like that? And, and then you have to pick the right guy at the controls, at the quarterback position.
1: So, you know, most everyone who follows the NFL, in fact, probably everyone who follows the NFL knows how good of a coach Sean McVay is. Just looking at what he's done with the Rams, you know, from year one to year two, but getting into it, what what sort of makes Sean McVay a good coach for Jared Goff for this offense? Is it the way that he uses play action, is it the route concepts he designs, is it both of those things? Where does that kind of lie for you in watching every single snap that the, the Los Angeles Rams have taken over the last two years?
0: Well, I, that's a conversation for
1: an entire podcast,
0: yeah. or maybe a series <laughs> of podcasts. And, and I firmly believe that someday there will be books written about that very topic. Um, But kind of in the Cliff Notes version, one, I think he's the smartest guy in most rooms. But more importantly, he has the ability to make you feel like the most important person in that room. Like he doesn't beat you over the head in a condescending fashion with how much football he knows and how uh, next level genius he is in this realm of football that we all live in. Um, More than that, I think he has communication and leadership ability, um, a willingness to delegate, to surround himself with people who are capable of being play calling coordinators and head coaches. I mean, the fact that he would reach out to Cliff King Kingsbury in the middle of a season in which his team is pursuing a Super Bowl just to have another offensive mind in the room and not be threatened by the input um, is speaks to who Sean is. Uh, But when push comes to shove, I think he's relatable. I think he's trustworthy. I think he communicates uh, openly and honestly in a fashion that the players trust. And and even though they might not have known about him in terms of playing credentials or previous coaching credentials, he got that buy-in immediately. And then just to wrap up, what I know is a rambling answer, J.J., on game day, uh, much like the head coach in Chicago, he still has the play sheet. He is still communicating with the cornerback. And when he sees what the defense is doing, I think he is among the select few on the entire planet that can get to the right place uh, and communicate the right concept to his quarterback within a 40-second play call so that more often than not, you're putting your offense in a position to have success.
1: Generally speaking, it is one of the things that he's done, not trying to ram his scheme in with players who it may not work for, And instead, tailor his scheme to what players he has. Because that's something that I think Matt Nagy in Chicago has done a tremendous job of, is tailoring his scheme to the players that he has and turning it into a winning scheme. For Sean McVay, some of the players have changed. Obviously, uh, Brandon Cooks was not there last year. They had Sammy Watkins. So how has he kind of tailored this scheme to the players that he has?
0: Well, the, the best way to illustrate it, I think, is his ascent through the Washington organization was largely at the tight end position. And he had the most success using some great tight ends led by Jordan Reed. And so he came to L.A., drafted a tight end. Everyone thought, oh, wow, here it comes. The Rams are going to become like tight end forward. Well, until the last three weeks, four weeks, the Rams really have gotten next to nothing in terms of tight end production in the Sean McVay era. He has built an offense predicated on Todd Gurley as the single back, no fullback, in the I formation, 11 personnel at a rate that has never been seen in the NFL. NFL play action at a rate that has never been seen in the NFL he has done exactly what you just described looked at the roster and the skill position players that he had and was able to acquire and and said what threatens a defense what poses the most problems what allows uh the the 11 people that I have playing 90 plus percent of my downs on offense to threaten uh, opposing teams in the best fashion. And he has, you know, I think he could coach triple option. I think he could (laughs) coach 12 personnel. I think he could certainly do those things. I've told our fan base, I think he could be a defensive coordinator if he just wanted to flip the switch and focus on coaching football in that fashion. Um, But what he is specializing in right now is exactly what you just described. Finding solutions to the puzzle based on the pieces that he has to work with.
1: I'm extremely here for Sean McVay coaching a triple option team. By the way, <laughs>
0: uh, is that job at Georgia Tech still open? Yeah, I it is. It is. Okay, um, there you go. Hopefully, the, he doesn't leave.
1: The, on, on defense, obviously, this is the Rams' defense that has a number of superstars. You know, you get Aaron Donald, uh, Damacon Sue, the cornerbacks. Their defense that to me seems like they're they're beatable, but they also take the ball away at a rate that makes them a good modern NFL defense, where it's a lot harder in 2018 to stop an opposing offense. You have to come up with those big plays, the, you know, the, the sacks, the touchdowns, the interceptions, all those plays. And that's what the Rams are really good at. Is that sort of a fair characterization of what this defense is? It
0: is, and I think because of what you described, they've had enough success on defense. They've given their offense enough extra possessions Mm -hmm. to be an 11-1 and team. Now, the flip side of that coin is I don't think anyone here locally or or fans of the Rams organization would say that they are satisfied with the defensive performance or that the expenditures that they made, the investments that they made on that side of the football – uh, have paid the dividends that everyone was expecting. Now, two major caveats to that statement: one, Aaron Donald has earned every penny and then some. Uh, I think he is the closest to a MVP candidate that we have seen on the defensive side of the football in the NFL in quite some time. Um, and then, two, there's an injury to a keep to leave that has had him, you know, run the full stint on IR and miss eight weeks. Uh, that I think has had a larger impact than maybe anyone envisioned. Uh, when everything is in order with a keep to lead back there, the results have been much more impressive and they had him on a pitch count against the Lions. He only played the first half. The anticipation is that he'll be full go this week in Chicago. And the hope, and I'm not sure if it's well founded or not, only time will tell is that the defense will be more complete, will deliver on that promise, Mm -hmm. will deliver on their resumes uh, when Aqib Tlaib is opposite Marcus Peters and everything's in order.
1: So before we get out of here, uh, what what are a couple matchups that you're kind of keying on as you start to look at the Bears this week that the Rams, if they lose them, they could lose the game, or if they win them, they could win the game? Are there anything specific that you're looking at, or is this one of those games where, I mean, the Rams are – a better team than the Bears, and they could potentially overcome losing one or two of those kind of key matchups and still win.
0: Yeah, um, so I have a couple answers in that regard, and I'll circle back to them. But just l- let me start by saying I-, I don't know that I have a complete enough grasp of the Bears individually at this stage of the week to really speak to like right. what a key matchup might be. Um, but more holistically, there's a very limited blueprint to beating The Rams in the Sean McVay era, and I am not a time of possession person. (laughs) I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of a a cheap statistic. Um, But Sean McVay has not lost a game that matters when his team wins time of possession, when his team runs more plays in the opposition, when his team uh, doesn't lose the turnover battle, for instance. So. It really is about game and ball control and making sure that McVeigh and Goff and Gurley don't get their shots. I mean, they're shooters. They they need to get their shots. And when they do, they're very difficult to keep up with if you're not the Saints, if you're not the Kansas City Chiefs. to, to do so I, you need to be able to run for first downs and certainly Chicago has that ability uh, play keep away with ball control uh, have a mobile quarterback who can extend plays who can shake off Aaron Donald draped all over his shoulder pads and keep you out of negative situations um, and then finally can you create more takeaways than you give because it's, it's ultimately a possession game I think when you play the Rams and the teams that have found success against them have been able to turn them over and one thing that might play into the Bears favor is the conditions and while they'll be dry it looks like they will be cold and Jared Goff has only played one true bad weather game cold weather game this year (laughs) it was in 20 degree temperatures in Denver uh, with overnight snow, and he wore gloves for the first time in his Rams career, and it was one of his poorest performances. So, uh, if you read the clippings coming out of L.A. this week, I suspect the the question to McVeigh and Goff will be front and center: Will you be practicing in gloves? Are you going to wear gloves? Uh, do the small hands that were maybe one of the few knocks on you in the draft process kind of play into ball security in the cold? Those types of things that I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, in previous mm. quarterbacks.
1: A lot to think about if you're a Bears fan. Uh, so what you're saying is that the Rams are going to practice with the air conditioning turned down to, like, 28 degrees. <laughs> uh,
0: they, they would if they could. Unfortunately, they practice outdoors. Mm. Uh, it, it, Must Oaks, be nice. California, yeah, there's, there's no need for an indoor practice facility, uh, so they don't have that at their disposal.
1: JB, where can the people follow you on Twitter, on Instagram, any other social media platforms?
0: Oh, if they care, uh, at JB underscore long, or if you search Rams Radio on Instagram or Facebook, I'm sure you can track me down. JB, thank you. But you also have better things to do.
1: Ah, I I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) Look
0: forward to seeing you on Sunday.
1: Yeah, thank you for your time, JB, and we will see you on Sunday.